Hi, my name is Pamela Coons, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Oncology at Yale School of Medicine and Yale Cancer Center. I'm excited to announce ASCO's new open access journal, JCO Oncology Advances. As the inaugural editor-in-chief, I hope to support JCO Oncology Advances to become the premier platform to bridge the gap between accessible scientific research and clinical care. Stay tuned for more information, including new article types, at ascopubs.org forward slash JCO Oncology Advances. We look forward to seeing your submissions in spring of 2024. This JCO podcast provides observations and commentary on the JCO article, Clinical Outcome with Correlation to Disseminated Tumor Cell Status After DTC-Guided Secondary Adjuvant Treatment with docetaxel in early breast cancer by Bjorn Naum et al. My name is Dr. Brian Leyland Jones. I am Vice President of Molecular and Experimental Medicine at the Avira Cancer Institute in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, USA. My specialty is genomic oncology. Disseminated tumor cells, circulating tumor cells, and circulating nucleic acids have become one of the hottest topics in current oncology research. As pointed out in a superb review article by Alix Panabier and Klaus Pantel in Nature Reviews, more than 15,190 publications were listed under the key phrase circulating tumor cell in a PubMed search in June 2014. That is, on average, 20 new publications per week in 2013. Over 270 clinical trials registered at clinicaltrials.gov used CTCs as biomarkers. In terms of the clinical management of patients with breast cancer, there are several scenarios where circulating biomarkers could be of significant interest, such as when either the primary or metastatic tissue is not available for biopsy slash sequencing in order to follow the molecular characteristics of the tumor in a longitudinal analysis. Also, as a means of monitoring the response to chemo and or targeted therapies in the neoadjuvant, adjuvant, and metastatic settings. Also, as diagnostic surrogates. And finally, as a means of dissecting the challenges emanating from intratumoral heterogeneity as discussed in a recent Nature Reviews clinical oncology paper by Dr. Dimatas Aruda et al. The now manuscript specifically related to this podcast not only addresses the issue of specifically monitoring the response to a chemotherapeutic regimen in the adjuvant setting, but also in those patients remaining positive for DTCs interrogates the effectiveness of adding additional therapeutic intervention. The introduction to this manuscript carefully delineates the background data upon which the study was designed. But of particular note, a pooled analysis of 4,700 patients reported level one evidence for the independent prognostic impact of DTCs at diagnosis in early breast cancer and the presence of DTCs after completion of neoadjuvant or adjuvant chemotherapy 
and during relapse-free follow-up was also a strong indicator of poor outcome. The multi-institutional study described in the now manuscript comprised a total of 1,121 patients with node positive or PT1C hyphen T4G2 hyphen 3 node negative breast cancer with no detectable metastasis. Enrolled between 2003 and 2008 after completion of primary surgery and six cycles of standard FEC therapy. These patients underwent bone marrow aspiration two to three months and eight to nine months after FEC. Presence of DTCs in bone marrow was determined using a pan-cytokeratin monoclonal antibody-based IHC. If either one or greater than one DTCs were present at the second, that is eight to nine months bone marrow, six cycles of docetaxel were administered, followed by a subsequent DTC analysis one and 13 months after the last docetaxel infusion. The study demonstrated that DTCs were positive in 7.2% of the overall patient population at the second eight to nine month bone marrow. Based upon this positive DTC finding, these patients were treated with the six cycle docetaxel regimen. Of these, the 21% that had persistent DTCs had markedly reduced disease-free interval, DFI, compared to patients with no DTCs post-treatment. Adjusted hazard ratio of 7.58, with 95% confidence intervals of 2.3 to 24.7. The docetaxel-treated patients with no DTCs post-treatment had comparable DFI to those with no DTCs at both the two to three months and eight, nine months time points. In conclusion, the authors noted that in those 7.2% of patients with DTCs remaining positive at the eight, nine month bone marrow following standard FEC adjuvant therapy, six cycles of docetaxel rendered 80% of these patients to the same favorable prognosis as those with no DTCs at this eight, nine month biopsy. Indeed, I personally found the disease-free interval versus time curves supporting this data in figures two and three to be visually very impressive. What are the limitations of this study? First of all, as the authors point out, the primary limitation of the study is the non-randomized design, which does not permit a direct interpretation of the effect of docetaxel on DTC status. Secondly, the observed frequency of DTC was lower than even the authors expected. Of the 1,066 patients who had two bone marrow biopsies, 92.8% had no therapy modifications based upon the bone marrows, since they were negative at the eight, nine-month time point. The subsequent docetaxel infusions were effective in 80% of the remainder, but this is less than 6% of the overall study sample size. Finally, it would have been highly desirable to have included blood-based CTC analysis in parallel to the bone marrow DTC analysis to evaluate whether one could avoid the distress 
of repeat bone marrow procedures. To quote the authors, the CTC methods available in 2003 when the study was initiated lacked sufficiently high sensitivity to be included, which is in many ways a shame. How do we put this study into perspective of breast cancer guidelines and key breast cancer DTC-CTC studies? First, CTC measurements have not been included into clinical guidelines, for example, ASCO guidelines, because their clinical utility, that is the capacity to facilitate a decision to adopt or to reject a therapeutic action, is still unclear, as discussed in the review article by Alix Panadier and Klaus Pantel in Nature Reviews. Part of this decision is based upon the SWOG S0500 study, of which I am a co-investigator. The SWOG S0500 study was a randomized phase three trial in which women with metastatic breast cancer and elevated CTCs, that is, five or greater CTCs per 7.5 mLs of whole blood after three weeks of first-line chemotherapy were randomized to changing to an alternative chemotherapy regimen at the next course rather than waiting for clinical evidence of progressive disease versus remaining on the current first-line chemotherapy. This study was negative, but the conclusion by Smaraj et al., in the JCO most probably correctly states the key issue. In quotes, this study confirms the prognostic significance of CTCs in patients with MBC receiving first-line chemotherapy. For patients with persistently increased CTCs after 21 days of first-line chemotherapy, early switching to an alternate cytotoxic regimen was not effective in prolonging OS. However, for this population, there is a need for more effective treatment than standard chemotherapy. Close of quotes. Secondly, in the MetaBreast study, previously untreated patients with metastatic breast cancer are being randomized between clinician choice and CTC-driven choice. In the CTC arm, patients with five or greater CTCs per 7.5 ml of whole blood will receive chemotherapy, whereas patients with five or less CTCs for 7.5 ml of whole blood will receive endocrine therapy as first-line treatment. Bidad et al. provide a nice review of MetaBreast and other ongoing clinical trials in a cancer and metastasis reviews paper published in 2013. The design of this MetaBreast trial deserves comment. There is much evidence to suggest that the choice of chemotherapy versus endocrine therapy should be based upon P53 status, presence or absence of intact junk signaling, central quantitative T67, MIB1, etc., etc., whereas CTC status should be included as a contributing factor to the choice between chemo and endocrine therapy. I believe it will be extremely challenging to test whether CTCs are sufficient as the sole differentiating factor. What are the other challenges facing us with respect to the contribution of DTCs, CTCs to treatment choice? First, what is the correlation between DTCs and CTCs? In one very small study 
involving five patients with early-stage male breast cancer, it is of interest that DTCs were found in three of five patients, two DTCs detected in one patient, and one detected in each of the other two patients. Whereas the one patient with positive CTC did not overlap with the previous three patients. This was published by Choose in the Journal of Cancer Research and Clinical Oncology. Hence, the correlation between DTCs and CTCs needs a formal comparison. Second, what does the presence of DTCs in the bone marrow mean? DTCs in the bone marrow of patients with breast cancer have been studied for more than 20 years. These cells are more difficult to study than CTCs because aspirating bone marrow is a far more complicated and painful procedure than drawing blood. As noted in the Nature May 2012 outlook by Jocelyn Rice, Klaus Pantel quotes that the presence of CTCs is predictive of poorer clinical outcome, yet the fate of these cells is widely variable. The microenvironment at the CTC's ultimate destination may well determine their fate. Klaus Pantel quotes, some will grow into metastases immediately, some will do so later, leaving them in a state of lifelong dormancy. Researchers are searching for biomarkers that hold the answers to differentiating the two populations. HER2 could be one such marker. Tumor cells found both in the bone marrow and in the peripheral circulation appear to have a different HER2 status from the primary tumor. HER2-positive DTCs are more likely to grow into metastases than HER2-negative DTCs. A multicenter study is now underway in Germany to investigate whether monitoring the HER2 status of DTCs can guide treatment strategies for patients with HER2-negative primary breast cancer. Third, do liver metastases, for example, grow from a cell that first spent a decade asleep in the bone marrow? Or do these metastases grow from CTCs that traveled directly to the liver and then became dormant? The work of David Tarrin and colleagues at UCSD, published in the American Journal of Pathology, suggests the latter possibility, but we do not yet have the definitive answer. Fourth, what drives the balance of DTCs in the bone marrow between dormancy and unchecked growth? Aguirre-Gizo has proposed in clinical cancer research that there is a balance between two key signaling pathways, the growth-promoting ERK pathway and the growth-restricting P38 pathway. They have proposed that once CTCs leave the primary tumor, certain environments might preserve ERK dominance, hence yielding an immediate metastasis, whereas those that promote P38 could lead to dormancy. As an alternative explanation, Leiden speculates that age-related changes in the microenvironment, such as a shifting ratio of myeloid and lymphoid cells or a decrease in physical space for hematopoietic stem cells might stimulate DTCs to resume their growth. The bottom line is that the key determinants of dormancy remain unclear at the present time. 
as outlined in Bidar et al., there are several trials underway to tackle some of the more practical issues. One trial of which I am particularly keen to obtain the results is the SURMOUNT trial, where SURMOUNT stands for Surveillance Markers of Utility for Recurrence after Neoadjuvant Therapy for Breast Cancer. This is hosted by the iSpy Network. This multi-platform study has a primary objective of determining the incidence and frequency of both bone marrow and circulating tumor biomarkers in patients with clinical or radiological residual disease at the completion of neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Since this is conducted in the ongoing ISPY2 trial, SAMOUNT will correlate all of these markers by breast cancer subtype, residual cancer burden, and pathological complete response rate, and will furthermore compare the molecular and genetic features between primary tumor, residual tumor, and circulating biomarkers. I am especially interested in this trial because it will embrace the total spectrum of enumeration of CTCs, EPCAM markers, ER, HER2, CMET, and will also incorporate profiling of multiple CTC, DTC, cell-free DNA, and microRNA platforms. In conclusion, the NOW manuscript has pushed us one step further along the path in which disseminated tumor cells are not simply prognostic, but more importantly, guide therapy decisions. We are very grateful for the immense amount of work and care that the Borgen team devoted to this important study. Whereas I do not believe that the Baum study is practice changing, it represents critical progress along the inevitable march forwards in the very near future, where DTCs, CTCs, and circulating nucleic acids become critical components of deciding not only when to treat our patients, but also which targeted therapies to prescribe to them. This concludes this JCO podcast. Thank you for listening. For more original research, editorials, and review articles, please visit us online at jco.org. This production is copyrighted to the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Thank you for listening.